Welcome to another episode of the Conversation for Our Generation. My name is Nick Jamel, the creator and the host of the podcast here, and this is where we are solving the problems of today with the wisdom of the past. And we have a very special interview with two amazing guests, Stephen Sawyer and Brian Murphy from the Vital Masculinity Podcast. And these guys are very wise, wise guys and really fun to talk to. I, I just really enjoy having conversations with them because I think they bring a similar insight and a similar point of view, but really take it from a different angle. They have different backgrounds than me. And I think we kind of come to us, have come to a similar place, but through different avenues. And it's really cool to hear what we're able to bounce off each other and really build on each other's ideas. And I like those kinds of conversations because you really feel like you're getting at the truth. It's great to debate two different sides, but I think when you have people who you agree with a lot of things on, it's really cool to see how those conversations can build into something constructive instead of just really tearing at each other's arguments and maybe not being as constructive. And so I really enjoy this. Definitely go and check them out and everything that they have. You can go to their website, biomasculinity.org, and everything will be also in the show notes. So definitely check that out as well. And thank you for tuning in. And I think this will be a really great episode. So let's go ahead and hop over to that then. Well, thanks, Stephen and Brian, for coming on from the Vital Masculinity uh, Podcast. I'm very excited to have you guys on today and be able to kind of return the favor after being able to come on your guys' show. <laughs> yeah, man, it, it's good to be on. It, like we were talking beforehand, it feels like it's probably been a couple of years with everything that's happened this year, but I feel like it's only been like three or four months since we last uh, chatted. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the discussion. <laughs> I think uh, I, got, I got a lot, uh, <laughs> a lot I got to get out, so I'm ready. <laughs> this is our safe space to talk about things we won't talk about on our podcast, Brian. <laughs> yes, yes. You can go as go wherever you want as far as <laughs> pretty much. I'm so the I'm, alcohol is for. Yep, exactly. What are you drinking there? I got some hard cider. I honestly don't even know what brand it is. Uh my wife doesn't really like alcohol, but yesterday, as I mentioned before, our show was uh, our one year anniversary. So I'm like, let's celebrate something. And she likes cider. So I'm like, let's 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 mix it and see how, how it goes. So she liked it. It was like eight bucks a target. Nice. I won't complain. I like cider. It's fall. Yeah. I'm wearing flannel. It works. <laughs> exactly. Yep. I was having to dig through and find the sweaters for fall and everything. But yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'm doing some uh teeling Irish whiskey. I'm a big Ooh. Ooh, also, like scotch or bourbon. I'm like, uh, yep. you're leaving out Irish whiskey, which is <laughs> my opinion the best of all the whiskeys but mm -hmm. but yeah well yeah, i think they call that mick <laughs> <laughs> yep i'm irish too so i can say hey, that same. i'm like 70 percent i'm trying to get in the hibernian league but they're not doing here <laughs> in covid so but yeah uh i guess it'd probably be good to start off for people who you know i published kind of the episode I did with you guys to my sure. audience, but for those who didn't listen to that, who are newer, tell, tell them a little bit about what you guys are doing over at the Vital Masculinity Podcast. Yeah, so uh, Stephen and I, I guess, started this, what was it? I guess almost two years ago, we started thinking about this. Yeah. And we had worked on like some political things and, and things uh, of that nature, but I think we determined that probably was going to have the greatest impact on an individual man and, and on our society as a whole is just helping men to grow in virtue, um, you know, build a strong brotherhood and serve their communities. So that's 
I guess the main focus of our podcast and you know we're not uh, perfect men by any means but we're we're working on it and uh, we're trying to find other men that are uh, interested in that mission as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you could almost say I mean we, we we are in a political season and I, I saw a great tweet by uh, Patrick Deneen who's a I think he's a fairly fairly well-known conservative commentator but he talked about the uh, debate that took place last night on September 29th and he mentioned a good point that I brought up to you, Brian, earlier, where we look at, you know, all of the the vitriol, all of the, you know, lack of decorum and things like that. And whatever you think about that, it's pretty obvious that that there was a lot of um, just just really nasty rhetoric. And people view that as the cause of so much wrong in America. But I would just say that's a symptom. And one of it's a symptom in many ways of just a lack of virtuous men. Because um, we can look back throughout history, whether you're looking at, you know, American history in the, in the Revolutionary War period and afterward, or whether you're looking back through, you know, Western civilization at Europe, or even in other non-Western cultures and countries, you just find so much, so many great examples of just statesmen and other, like, gentlemen leaders that, you know, it's like, it'd be nice if we could have something like that. And and you look at what brings them all together under a similar vein, and nine times out of 10, it's going to be cultivating virtues, whether it's in an Aristotelian sense, a Christian sense, or, or just kind of in a general sense that I think anyone would still recognize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, one thing that I always try to focus on is, you know, the society is the reflection of a bunch of individuals' behavior. And so when you start changing individuals minds you can change the way society moves when you start changing individuals behavior you change the way society moves and i mean the best way you can see I'm, i come from an economics background so you really see it there very obviously like mm-hmm. <laughs> a few people start freaking out the stock market can tank it can you know they get all high on something it can just shoot up and you see how much that all the it's all individuals doing that and that happens too from the virtue perspective so i really like what you guys are doing there and i think that it's definitely important work and I learn a lot too listening to your podcast as well. <laughs> when you do some of your deep dives on those topics, which is awesome. But I kind sometimes of, too deep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I get that. I can tell sometimes when I'm like, they're not. I'm like looking at the time, like they're not to the end of this topic. <laughs> <laughs> we we honestly, I think the way we podcast is like we're going to do a little two episode segue between you know topic X and topic Y, and uh, it ends up being like five episodes and each episode's an hour long. <laughs> yep. It's yeah. fun though. It's fun. It is. And, and I, I think it's just fun to listen to too. I think you guys got a good rapport with each other. So that's awesome as well. But one thing that I wanted to go to is and talk a little bit about, because I was not listening to you guys. I don't think when you did your series on justice and recently it's coming to my mind and my attention, just how little, how little I have constructive to say about justice. Um, I can kind of tell you intuitively like bits and pieces, but I think it'd be just cool to kind of riff on that because it seems to me that so much of what we look at now as justice is you can kind of look at a situation and say, Hmm, does that feel right? Like, does that person get what they deserved? And that's kind of the extent of what most people in our society look at justice. But what are kind of, what are some of those classical views of that that you guys have come across that you enjoy? Or I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned uh, kind of the the aspect of feeling that a lot of people have nowadays. And I mean, I, I'm certainly not exempt from that. We, we grew up in a society where 
uh, emotions and feelings really, really rule the day. And you could argue whether it's like feminine or masculine or things like that. I think we talked about that kind of um, when we mentioned uh, some of the Venerable Fulton Sheen's works, Brian, in a couple episodes ago, uh, not about justice, but just it's tangential. Um, it seems to me, I, I guess we should probably diagnose like the issue that people have with justice nowadays. Because um, if you go back to like what we discussed in our episodes where we brought up Aquinas a lot, Ar- Aristotle, um, I'm trying to think of some other people. I, I know we've, we've had some more contemporary people in our notes and honestly it was a year and a half ago. But you know, they would, they would look at what we see with um, modern conceptions of justice outside of like a really strict rule of law basis. They, and they would, they would look at what people think about it and they would just shake their heads because it's, it's become purely based on emotion. Um, you, you know, you look at what's happened since like the George Floyd protests and it's baffled me how you'll see people that will justify in their sense that justice is, you know, looting a target. And things like that. And it's it's not, you know, this isn't just some conservative talking point. Like these are people that rightfully or wrongfully are trying to make an argument that in order to get justice for George Floyd or Breonna Taylor, you know, all bad situations in and of themselves, they need to loot a Target or a Macy's in Chicago or, or what have you. Um, and, and that's that's just so crazy. So I think it's almost funny that all of the past happenings over the past few months has almost colored at least my understanding of justice because it really does require a kind of a, a moral framework among people that are participating in, I'll say the dispute, the argument, or really just in a community where justice is brought up. And this moral framework isn't based necessarily on any philosophy or anything like that. I think the only moral framework that is going to be permanent that we've seen throughout history is is based on natural law and the idea that we are all uh, God's children, that we are all created in the image of God, and that we are all, because of that, do certain rights, even beyond the the conception of rights in the American Constitution, which I know that may trigger some people, but I think we, we certainly need to expand when we're talking about rights nowadays well beyond this idea that it's just the 10 or 10 commandments, the, <laughs> the, the you know, Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, or any ones after that. Brian, would you like to uh, pick up and kind of discuss a little more? Yeah, I was thinking about your saying, and I think you hit on an important point. Um, I'll just go back a little bit because I think it's important to define what we mean by justice. Um, right. And I think that maybe that's the challenge is because people just, you, it's, it tends to be whatever my individual definition of justice is. But if you look at it, the, the virtue of justice as it's been understood uh, throughout history, you know, it's giving to each person their due, you know, what they're due. And it's not, and what they're due is, uh, is an objective standard. It's not, you know, what I think I is due to me or what, what I want or what I feel like, you know, maybe someone could say, oh, well, I feel like looting a target. So that means that's what's due to me. But, you know, that's, that's not really what we mean by what's due. It's, it's an objective standard, like rooted in the natural laws you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And, I think that's why we have a challenge is because people tend to just go by how they feel like you're saying. And we, we have, uh, we've gotten to the point in our society where 
people want to tear it down like they don't want to look at the past all these laws and rules and conventions and customs that we've built up over time through trial and error through you know the the lasted the test of time and they just want to tear it down and do whatever they feel like doing and you know that's a very dangerous prospect you know whether you're a anarchist or a monarchist or you know whoever you are like just changing everything completely in one foul swoop is uh is gonna cause a lot of problems and uh so I, i if we're looking for that type of justice i don't think uh i don't think we're going to yeah, you know, I, I hope that doesn't happen because that that will not be just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that the other thing too that comes with this is the putting a moniker on top of justice. Like there's social justice, racial justice, whatever it is, and I think that that's really where you start to pin down to this. Like, uh, I guess you could almost think of it as a, I guess that it's that intersectional politics idea of it's justice for me because of my current situation you know, my, because of the, because of my race or sexual orientation or whatever it is, my justice is different, different for me, but really justice, like you said, is, hasn't that objective standard. You know, if you, no matter what, if you're gay, black, white, whatever you are, if you're a wage earner working for your wages, you are due your wages, right? You, your employer can't just not pay you if they promise to pay you that is unjust. And that's, you know, there's, certain levels of those sorts of things that just go across any sort of immutable characteristic. And I think that trying to pin it down is part of that almost a radical individualism that we have. And I think there is something that is true to about following an intuition about justice. Like we do have, when you see something that's unjust happening, you do have an intuition about it that you have to then I think the, stuff that people skip is articulating that intuition and like checking it against people who might have a different one. I think there is a moral framework of intuitionism, I think is what they call it, where you do just follow those. But I think what the Greeks figured out and what the West has continued to do is discuss those intuitions and see which ones hold up to logic and reason. And I think that's where we seem to fall off a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I. I Oh, go ahead, Brian. (laughs) Yeah, I was just going to say, I think today, too, people, when they think of justice, uh, maybe social justice in particular, they want equality of outcome rather than equality of opportunity. You know, they want everyone to have the same the same outcome, you know, no matter who you are, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what talents or gifts or or, you know, disabilities you have, you know, we should all have the same outcome. and I don't know. I, I I don't think that that's, well, I think communism has tried that and it doesn't work out very well, but like, just like to use a simple example, um, you know, if we all got the same outcome, like I would have a gynecologist, but I don't need a gynecologist because I'm a man. So like, but, uh, so you know, different people need different things and, you know, giving, me a gynecologist would be unjust because it just it's not due to me i don't need it mm-hmm. revolution is always going to lead much more to robespierre than the garden of eden as much of these people in portland or you know moscow back in the 1920s or you know in, in so many other places around the world 
as much as they may want to believe it or spout, you know, really just lame talking points like that meme that's true communism has never been tried. I mean, at the end of the day, I like to joke that I'm a radical Jacobite and that I think we should, 90% of us should be farmers, 5% of us should be lawyers, and 5% of us should be merchants, and we should just have a king and not have to worry about politics. <laughs> and honestly, watching that debate, I'm like, I don't want to ever have to worry about politics again because it's it's just bad. But I think I think that one of the things that has exacerbated the problem, I, I, I want to be careful with how I say this because I don't want to say that it's a new thing. I don't want to say that Facebook or Twitter has caused this problem because it's very evident that this issue of of really morality and the lack of respect for natural law the the de-christianization of society or even just the de-virtualization of society has been happening for decades if not centuries but it's very clear that there are two things that are happening in the modern era which has exacerbated this one being social media and the availability of instant communication i mean i'm all in favor of bringing back the carrier pigeon and, and completely just nuking twitter and facebook and instagram from orbit because what's funny to me and i kind of realized this in the act of i was i was going on twitter last night during the debate and just like watching like thousands and thousands of people tweet about this while i was watching and it really does produce a a soup of almost moral confusion. You just have all of these constant talking heads. And at the end of the day, it's just noise. And it's ultimately nonsense, whether it's true or not. And a lot of it's really just, and I'll admit this about myself, a lot of it's just to make us feel better. Oh, candidate A that I like is winning and candidate B is a buffoon or whatever it may be. I think the second thing, which is slightly more important is that we have a generation of weak men and and women at that matter where, you know, the, the, there was that old meme, I guess you could say old now of like the special snowflake, but we really just have, have trained a generation of people that are so fragile, where they can't disagree. And because of that, I feel like they find their solace in these, not only am I, you know, a woman, but I'm a gay woman that's also transracial. And, you know, I'm on Tuesdays, I'm a, uh, I don't, you, you have to use these pronouns and things like that. Um, it's finally come to my company, unfortunately, that, that sort of thing. And it's interesting to see it kind of firsthand because you see in, in many ways the desperation of these people and their attempts at using it for validation. And I think that that is, is one of the catalysts for a lot of these, these things you brought up, Nick, where you have all these different types of justice, where, you know, if I don't find my brand of justice, which in many ways, getting back to the, the start of this conversation about like what I feel I deserve, then I'm going to make it, you know, because you have, you have all of these, these, these buzzwords and things like that, which are ultimately meaningless. And they're just used by people to bludgeon other people into either accepting them or more sinisterly um, silencing them or really just, you know, trying to get what, what somebody wants out of whatever group of people it may be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I find that so often what people want, like you said, Brian, about being, they want equality of outcome mm -hmm. that requires not just building up of other people, which I would argue that would be an act of mercy, right? The, if you look at the acts of mercy, a lot of them are not like, I forgive you. Like we think of, they are, <laughs> feeding, you know, feeding the hungry, sheltering the homeless, visiting prisoners. Those are acts of mercy, burying the dead, giving people what they're due, but they can't attain on their own, right? Things that you are due by your dignity. Um, and it's acts of charity generally, but 
that's one thing you can build people up that way, but then to tear people down in order to create that equality of outcome is I think where we go so wrong. We don't want to build people up. We want to, the problem isn't that we have too many poor people. It's that we have too many billionaires. It's like, well, maybe we could solve some problems with building poor people up and creating new opportunities for people and educating them differently, whatever you need to do to give people that leg up that they need instead of trying to steal from the other person, because that's inherently unjust. You can't create a just outcome by violating someone's rights and committing injustice in the process. And that's something that I was always believing, but I recently read uh, some of Plato's work, the symposium, and I, I just mm-hmm. got it at half price books it, and it had a couple <laughs> other, and it was, it was when you read uh, Socrates articulation of it, you're like, wow, <laughs> he, he's, he's saying that in the place of a dying man, basically. And he's sitting there and accepting that uh, he can't do something that's, you know, unjust in the process. So I, I just think it's tough. I think, like, I think that you need stronger men and women who are willing to do the hard things because it's easy to, it's easier to cut someone down than it is to build someone up. What I find difficult to decide, I mean, I, I don't know if any of you follow, like you'll see people posting mugshots or just pictures of people that are, are doing like the rioting or looting and stuff in Portland and all these other cities. And you, and you can tell, and I'm trying to be very generous. You can tell that a lot of them are unfortunately very disturbed individuals just by looking at them. And I'm not saying it because some of them are different colored hair. Like a lot of these people are unfortunately just have a lot of mental illness. And the question that I've, I've, I've often struggled with, and I don't know if I have an answer is we can talk about, you know, trying to create a more just society and doing exactly what you're doing. Um, and I don't think I've ever come up with an answer of what a society should do for people that really struggle with these, these, these big issues of morality. Cause it almost seems nowadays. And again, it could just be polarization pushed by media, by social media and by, by, you know, certain people. Um, but it certainly almost seems like there's two or three or four or five or six or however many countries within the United States of America. And we all have differing kind of views, not just on trivial political issues like fiscal or monetary policy, but on real moral questions. Like I would say, if you have differing opinions on abortion and particularly very vitriolic opinions on abortion, you know, because these two sides are becoming uh, more mainstream or they're, they're becoming uh they're, they're going to the spotlight now with the whole Amy Coney Barrett nomination. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how is this ever reconciled? Because this, is, this isn't just an issue of different beliefs in really shallow and superficial things. This is a very deep moral thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how a country heals itself like that. And, and, you know, and this is, I think, actually kind of gets back to our mission of vital masculinities. It really just needs to be one man at a time. Um, ultimately this would, this would fall to the parents or, you know, like the tutors that like Plato had in his time or Augustine had, um, kind of in like the Roman, the the Greco Roman world. But it just seems to me that we are unfortunately very far gone as a society, believing that our educational system is raising good people of virtue. And then we're, we're always shocked when the, they come out, unfortunately, very damaged people. I mean, I was certainly damaged in my own way by public education. Um, but it, it's just, it's just crazy to see. And I, I don't know how we get around it. So I'm interested in, in what you both think about 
you know, that's sort of how, how we produce that healing, if, if at all possible. I think you hit on the right point. It starts with the individual, you know, with a man or a woman. Um, and I mentioned before the definition of the virtue of justice is to give, give each person their due. Give each person their due. Not to seek my due, but to give someone else. So justice is not, uh, you know, we think of justice as a right, as like something that someone's going to give me. No, the virtue of justice is a responsibility on my part to, to give someone their due. And I, I think that that's the challenge is that, sorry about that, is that uh, we have to take responsibility to be just, not just looking for the government or someone else to act justly, but, but actually to work together you know, as, as an individual and you know, working together with other people that want to seek justice to do that to other people, not to, not like an activist way where you're, you know, lobbying the government. Okay. Maybe that has its place, but you know, just on a one-to-one -one basis or, you know, a group of people helping an individual or however it might be. Hmm. I think that if we see justice as a responsibility of something that we have to do, then that will go a long way. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's interesting because there's not another virtue that we think of as what I'm due necessarily. Like we don't expect um, charity or we don't expect forgiveness. I mean, you kind of do in a way, obviously everyone, you're like that, that person, you know, should forgive me. I apologize. You kind of have that, but justice is the one where I think we're very adamant that this is something that I deserve. And it's not just something that I should give to other people. And I think, I think that one thing that we can really do to fix a lot of the problems is I, looking at like, I mean, first of all, just reading Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life. But I think that one of his best mm -hmm. things that he does is, you know, clean up your room or, and then get your life in order before you criticize the world basically. And I think, you know, and I try to do this too. I try to balance this with myself is like, I know that I have parts of myself put together, but I know that I'm a sinner and broken and mess up and, and all of that. But where can I speak that, you know, I can put out my ideas and try to do it humbly and, you know, in a way that invites people to engage with them and not just be critical and cynical and all of that. Cause I can definitely be that way. And I'm a, I'm kind of sarcastic as well. So it can definitely come off the wrong way too sometimes. And so I think that that's one thing that we can do is, you know, kind of taking care of ourselves first and looking outward. But I think that as far as the education system goes, <laughs> I think we're going to see a radical shift. And I think that looking at it as a family's responsibility to educate their children and not the state's responsibility will play a huge role in that because I think right now we have this idea that parents just send their kids off to school and they're going to get, they're going to learn and then they're going to get a good job when they graduate college and they're going to be, have some student loan debt, but that's just how you do. You just ship ship your kids off to the state for 12 years, send them to college for four years, and then they have a job. And that's our education system. Currently we we're not educated classically. We're not educated on virtue. And I think, you know, my parents, my mom's a teacher. I went to Catholic schools growing up and 
she was heavily involved. You know, my parents asked me what I learned each day. And when my history teacher who maybe had some kooky ideas about the way things should be, my dad would be like, no, that's not true. You should <laughs> like, like, he's like, go research this. And, you know, and you can push back on that next time. And, and so like they would challenge things that I learned and knew what I was learning and they knew the teachers that I had. And I think that makes a big difference in protect, you know, protecting me from some of the craziness that you could have. You still encounter that, but it was definitely not what you see today. And some of the stories that I have, you know, that I've heard from people who did go to public schools, my wife did. And some of the stories that she has are kind of nutty and yeah. it's, it's very, very different. And she's not a religious person and still comes up like, she's still like, yeah, things were crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> it seems to me that, you know, to have justice nowadays or really to view it like the way you were talking about Brian as a responsibility, which is hundred percent correct. I, I think that that sense of responsibility is unfortunately lost in modern society, but you need another virtue and that's courage um, or fortitude. And like your dad, Nick, honestly, <laughs> as trivial as it may sound, that was a courageous thing to do to basically push back against your teacher. And I say that because so many people nowadays are just like, they just, they send their kids off to school and they wipe their hands of them. Mm-hmm. And, and they don't have any responsibility, not even in the moral upbringing. We know that that's unfortunately lacking, but even in the, the educational upbringing and just, you know, your traditional studies, math, science, language arts, things like that. And I think what's interesting to me is that, you know, you could argue that people as a whole, and maybe this is just me being a little cynical, but people as a whole are typically going to be followers. There are very few people that lead, and I'm not trying to say I'm a leader and, you know, our listeners are followers, Brian, so hopefully we don't get any bad tweets about that. But I I find it very telling when you have, like recently with uh, the father, James Altman, um, dilemma that's come out um, where this is a man who's very bravely and courageously spoken out on a very, uh, you know, hot topic issue and whether someone believes or agrees with them or not, I personally agree with them hundred percent. Um, but the way that he did it, I mean, he, he is speaking a lot of courage and he's doing it with, with a lot of power and authority behind him. And it's, it's always funny seeing people say like, well, we need more people to say this. We need, you know, more people to say this and so on and so on. And that's why, honestly, I think a lot of people like Donald Trump love him or hate him for his style. You can basically tell what he thinks on any position because he just says it, you know, he probably tweets it from the bathroom while drinking a diet Pepsi or something like that, but he'll tell you what he believes. And I think if we had more people not necessarily sharing their opinion on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that, because that is the most counterproductive things in the world, but just when they're pushed back on, whether it's at work, which is a common thing nowadays, or if they're young in school, or just among their friends group, their friends group, and whether it's about something like justice, or whether it's about something like truth, or just goodness, or or things like that, just the ability to speak up for yourself, for your family, for other people is a missing art today. And I'm certainly not the best at it. I, I've had to, to do a lot of practice. And unfortunately, it's not been easy being just so isolated from people. You really kind of get out of touch sometimes with, with all these lockdowns and stuff. But it's a need that people need to have. And, and that level of courage, I think, is really going to also be a very good underpinning for the practice of justice, especially when everything is just so polarized. In, and it probably will be even after November 3rd. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I, I don't see the polarization going away anytime soon. Not what <laughs> we have <laughs> happening. But, but yeah, I, I think that kind of takes us to a topic that I did want to touch on is how should we be talking about politics as, as a virtuous man? How, how should we engage in that discussion? I think that one thing that it seems to me is that we should be seeking truth, not seeking whatever is expedient or what seems to fit our preconceived notions. But actually, when we talk about politics, when we talk about philosophy, when we talk about some of these big ideas, we should be trying to get at what is true and what is good, not just what we already believe. Yeah, I, I think you hit it, the nail on the head there. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to seek the truth. And I think, unfortunately, we don't really have, um, you know, I know personally, I don't really have good habits around this. And I think it's just a common thing in our society today is I don't think people take enough time to actually think about things, to actually listen to what someone else is saying, trying to understand where they're coming from so that they can actually respond to that person and, and actually engage their with them with an argument. You know, you don't have to agree with them, but I, I think, if you don't understand what they think, you can't really, you know, craft an argument that addresses what they think and maybe, you know, uh, illuminates them or at least helps them to explain better to you what they're trying to get at. And I, I think that you know ties into what Stephen was saying earlier about social media. You know, if if you're just out there to share your thoughts as soon as they come into your brain and not really process them. And when I say process them, I mean like waiting a couple days, maybe even to to work through some things, maybe even months if it's a big, important issue. Uh, Instead, you know, you have people on 24-7 news, on the 24-7 Twitter, uh, and people are just spitting out whatever comes into their head. And I think a lot of times when you do that, it, it just turns out it just turns into everyone saying, okay, what side am I on? What talking points do I agree with? What opinions do I want to hold without really, you know, finding any real justification for them. And so then when, when you're getting into a conversation with someone, it's just, how can I defeat their opinions with a good uh, gotcha question or something like that? You know, I I think if we're going to, we're going to answer this question, you almost need to kind of look at like the archetypes of, virtuous men, virtuous women, and say, what would they have done? I know it's the, what would Jesus do cliche, but I I look at, and I'll say monks as an example. Um, You know, let's take St. Benedict. If you're going to try to discuss politics virtuously, I think the first thing you honestly need to do is almost withdraw from the world. Um, Especially nowadays in our day and age, you have all this noise I mentioned before. And I think anyone is going to agree with me there. It's so hard to escape things, whether on social media or not. It's, It's just constantly there. And the first thing you need to do is withdraw from the noise because people are always trying to sell you their opinions. And whether they're right or wrong, you know, I, I can say, and I believe that I, I hold to the truth, you know, when it comes to things that are political, but if I'm just constantly getting one side or constantly like dwelling in it, it's going to have bad effects on me because we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be spending all our time on politics and we shouldn't be just getting one side. So you need to kind of take a step back. And also in that same vein, when you are getting your news, make sure you're trying to get both sides and make sure you're thinking critically. Cause I think a lot of people, 
Unfortunately, nowadays, unlike the old image of like the man opening his newspaper at the kitchen table, drinking a cup of coffee at six in the morning before work, you don't really have that, like that thoughtful reflection. You have this, like I read a title and then I go to the next one, or you have these aggregators like Reddit or Facebook is, is basically an aggregator or Twitter where it's like 140 characters title. Ooh, sensational Trump's bad or Biden's bad, you know, scroll to the next one. And you can, it can be very easy to reinforce the, you know, stereotypes can be very easy to reinforce things that are not true. And this is why this whole idea of fake news is really caught on. And I find it funny how it, it, it even that concept is being twisted nowadays. Um, you really should just take a step back from the news, I think is really the key thing. But I, I was thinking about what you were saying, Brian, and maybe it's the cynic in me, and maybe it's good to have a cynic on our project. <laughs> because as much as I want to agree, or uh, as much as I want to agree, as much as I want to agree that I think that being able to form rational arguments in order to convince people would work. I don't think that unfortunately is a, is a very common thing nowadays. Um, and again, I'm really only speaking maybe in terms of 2020, 2016. And, and unfortunately, as you were mentioning, Nick, probably going ahead for the foreseeable future. Yeah. I think that it's very good to have arguments to believe what you believe hundred um, percent. And I think that's something that a lot of people unfortunately don't have. Um, but I think really the key is going to be that there are people that are not going to change their mind based on arguments. And the other thing to do when you're trying to be virtuous and talk politics is to realize that it is not your job to convert people. And that's the same thing really for religion as well. I mean, maybe to a lesser extent, but like it is not your job to go out there and convince people that Trump is the next God emperor or that Biden is going to save America and bring back decency or, or whatever it's going to be. And that's what so many people I think have nowadays like this, this complex that because they believe what they believe, rightfully or wrongfully, whether they have arguments or not, there's this kind of just internal tension that they need to get out that says that I need to spread this truth. And it ends up really just looking like a ranty Facebook post, you know, saying that this candidate is great. And I think, I think in order to discuss politics virtuously, we need to just disengage is really the crux of my message. We need to disengage, focus on ourselves, and maybe we can have rational arguments with some people, but we can't expect that everyone's going to be on the same plane as, as us morally, uh, argumentatively, rationally, things like that. And that'll save us a lot of time, heartache, and ultimately, I think that will bring to a much less polarized country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I like what you said about trying to, not making it about winning converts either. Obviously, mm -hmm. as a Catholic, I feel like I am called to right. convert people to Catholicism, but at the same time, <laughs> I would never just like beat someone over the head with why the reformation was bad and everything that Martin Luther did wrong and, and just berate somebody. Instead you ask people like I, when I listen to people on Catholic answers all the time and someone will come with like this angry, you know, kind of accusation instead of a question at the Catholic church, they'll say, okay, why, where'd you hear that? What, why do you think that what's your source on that? You start asking people those questions and and also, again, I've been reading Plato. I'm actually in Plato's Republic right now. And the whole first, uh, you know, 50 pages as far as been, you know, Socrates asking what morality is and, inquis you know, being the inquisitor of his comrades and saying, uh, you know, why do you think that is what, you know, and, and doing it in a good spirit, you know, and one of the people actually gets angry at him and yells, you know, that 
and it starts basically cussing him out because he's like, you just always do this. You're always asking these stupid questions and you just do it just to get a rise out of people. And he's like, no, I, I want to get to the truth and this is how I do it. And I think that one, having a bit of humility when you approach the situation is always good. And then two, having a genuine interest in understanding the other person's point of view, because while there are objective truths, there are a lot of subjective experiences that we each have that we bring to the table. And I think that as you kind of unravel someone's take on it, on the truth, you can see maybe how that relates to their personal experience. There's maybe people who have been arrested, who have a different look at the justice system than someone whose dad was an attorney, like a prosecutor, right? You're going to have two very different takes on and experiences that people are bringing to that conversation. I think that respecting the other person as an individual who may have information and insights that you don't have because of that is good. And it's a way to offer charity to someone else as well. And then also not trying to convert someone in one conversation is probably good too. <laughs> if it's, if it's like a good friend that you're trying to get to your side, it's like, just play the long game and don't, don't get into a battle on Facebook. I definitely got off. I go on Facebook for work. That's it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because My job has me on social media for things, but that's about all I get on Facebook for. <laughs> I'm about the I'm same. In a, <laughs> I've deleted Facebook about five times over the past <laughs> 10 years. So hopefully I'm off it for good now at this point. But it's always interesting, like whether you're, you know, get rid of it or you take a break from it. And then, you know, people will like send you messages and like, oh, did you hear about this thing that happened? And like sometimes I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But I feel like most of the time it's like, am I going to care about this in like two hours or two days? Probably not. And I think that's what you kind of get on social media. It's just like everyone is extremely concerned about something that's not going to matter like next week. And it's, it's very challenging when, when it's that type of atmosphere to actually have a conversation with someone when, when it's always one thing to the next and uh, everything's the biggest deal in the world, even though it's really not. The sky is always falling. You know, that reminds me, Brian, of I know we touched on it briefly and you and I mentioned behind the scenes that we're going to do probably an episode on this in the future. But this kind of this idea that lust is not just for sexual things, but lust can be for like things that are ordinarily good, like knowledge or books. And I think there there's because of social media and I, I hate to harp on it and sound like that angry Jacobite again. But like there's this there's this just like lust to always be in the know. And I mean, I, I struggle with that a lot. I, I, I honestly yeah, go through phases. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I go through <laughs> phases personally where I'll wake up and I'll check Twitter first thing. And I'll, you know, I'll check like our podcast and our project and things like that. I get things set up for the day and posting. But then I'll be going on personal and I'll like read the news. And, and that's, I don't want to say it's like the main place I get my news, but it's one of the, the main places that I'll be like, okay, this is what's happening. I can go explore other things. But the fact that I'm spending so much time on it, it doesn't bring me much joy. It doesn't bring me much happiness. It doesn't bring me much peace. And not that those are the, I don't want to say those are the biggest things in the world. Like if there was a communist revolution happening, or if there were people right outside my door trying to break it down and, you know, take me and my wife and arrest us, it would probably be good if I was maybe a little anxious or upset and, you know, uh, not just being like, I need to be peaceful and, and, you know, not, not pay attention, but it is a very delicate balance. And the issue is I've not really found a way 
to to strike that balance because things just happen so much. I mean, you and I, Brian, we and some other gents, we did Exodus 90. And we started like what the day of or the day after the George Floyd riot started. And I remember the biggest challenge in our group was trying to stay away from the news and off of social media and our phones. <laughs> because I mean, yeah, between all the things that happened this year, I mean, we almost went to, we almost had World War Three with Iran. Okay, I'm being dramatic, but we, we almost went to war with Iran, you know, and then the Pope slapped a woman on day two of the <laughs> year, supposedly. And then like all these other things in COVID and yada yada yada. And then we have these things, which, you know, impacted you and me particularly directly because, you know, Rochester and Raleigh both had some bad riots. Mm-hmm. But it's just tough because it feels like this year it just keeps dragging us back in every time we're trying to get out and trying to withdraw yeah. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like what you mentioned about, you know, lust, not just being for sexual things, obviously it, that's where we most closely associate it, but in, you can have a lust for any worldly good, right? It's just a disordered love for something that is a worldly good, right? The union between, a man and a wife is a good thing. And so when you take that out of that context and you have a disordered desire for it, that's what that is. And the funny thing is if you, I don't know if you guys have ever read the great divorce by CS Lewis, but one of the guys in there, he has this thing on his shoulder that, you know, it's like a little lizard. And when he finally parts with it and you know, he lets the angel take it off of his shoulder, he transforms, right. And he goes into heaven, but also that, thing that was taken from him turns into a roaring stallion and he everyone else kind of walks up this mountain that is this kind of summit to heaven but he just takes off and flies and i think that that's something too is when we're so attached to some of these worldly goods you're spending so much energy on you know putting yourself towards a good that does not ultimately is not rightly ordered or is not the ultimate good that you could be striving towards when you separate from that and you actually strive towards the proper goods and you align yourself with what you should be with your telos, with whatever that purpose is, then you really rock it off because it can be something that slingshots you forward because you have that energy. You don't have anything really holding you back at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people are attached to, I don't know how to, how to put this, but uh, I guess their vision of how the government should be functioning and what they should, what laws they should be passing and what things they should be enforcing. Um, know you know, I whether, am. you know, you want to uh, abortion to be legal or illegal or what do you want, whether you want critical race theory in public schools or you don't. And it's like, if, if one of these things happens, it's going to be at the end of the world. Um, and, you know, I got to fight for my, you know, you, you see all this rhetoric in in the news like this is the last election be, like if if we don't vote for this person this is our last chance and the country is going to blow up and everything's going to go to hell and I, I mean i hope that doesn't happen maybe it will but you know maybe like things will just continue how they were like four years ago or you know similar to how they were i i don't think it's going to have a massive effect um unless uh you know, Trump decides to like put everyone in concentration camps or something. <laughs> then I gotta worry about it. My my thought on all of this, to to I guess give my ultimate meta political perspective, is that basically what we're seeing right now is almost a repeat of what Rome saw, not at Julius Caesar or at uh, Caesar Augustus, um, Octavius, 
like two, three, four decades before with the Gracchi brothers, where you have a lot of political ag- political agitation, and it was very class based. It was very you could almost say race based. Um, although I think mostly what's happening in America is not necessarily race based as much as BLM and some other people want you to believe. I think it is a class based thing, and. I think that there is the potential for this political agitation in America and in the Western world to transform into some level of soft or hard Caesarism. I know that the media is trying to play that Trump is literally Hitler and that this time he literally did something that makes him Hitler and that all of these things, which is ridiculous um, because I mean, you could say the thing on the other side, you know, the, 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 the right always views things as, you know, this is this is the last straw before 1776 again, or this is the last straw before they, they institute 1984. And the left always sees it as this is the last straw before 1933, you know, where he's putting people in concentration camps. And it's, I mean, let's be honest, guys, we all know that these companies are getting ad revenue. <laughs> and, 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 and that's why, like, you know, BuzzFeed is a great example of a company that is just so completely out there. But CNN, Fox News, all these other companies have become so completely bad with it as well. And that's what it's for. And I could, like I said, I could legitimately see us transforming into, for better or for worse, into a Caesarism. Um, whatever, whether that looks like, like the Principit principate that happened in the roman empire or whether it's more of like a magna carter-esque enlightened despotism Mm -hmm. i don't know but there's just so many unknowns and and i found recently that just it's just not worth trying to predict it i mean i don't want 1984 to happen i don't want concentration camps to happen if i can do things to prevent that that's good and that's something i should be doing but i think people overestimate their influence particularly because of social media which is why this idea of yelling at people on twitter or you know <laughs> triggering the liberals as funny as that is and don't get me wrong like i love I, I love to sometimes just relax after work watching like ben shapiro destroy some people like let's be honest i find that hilarious um but at the end of the day it doesn't move the needle that that debate last night does not move the needle for, for most people and, and, and while it's a sad thing, because I think it kind of goes back to people are moving away from maybe more reasoned arguments for, for politics, um, I think it's probably good because it means that Mad Max is not going to happen tomorrow. We're not going to wake up and, you know, the world's not going to be over. And thank God, thank God for that. Um, but yeah, the best thing we could do is pray, ultimately. Yep. I have a bunch of friends who talk about buying a commune out in Southern <laughs> and just go, going to just was like, we'll just be farmers and hunters and, <laughs> and we can just be out on like a couple hundred acres and just live our lives. And I'm like, this sounds great. And then and I have some, it's like a technocracy who's a coder and is like, nope. Yep. Futurist. We're going to, <laughs> we're going to be living in the matrix soon. I have some friends that listen to uh, the show and I know they'll probably laugh at this, but we discussed doing that, that commune idea. And I always hate the term commune because it sounds very hippie. I'm like, we'll create a planned community. You know, maybe we'll build walls. It'll be a little medieval town in like North, North Carolina, like the Northern portion of North Carolina. And then we're like, yeah, it's, that's a lot of work. And I don't know how to do that. I'll just buy guns. It'll be okay. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Well, I am curious. Cause I think that, you know, I've been doing book reviews. I feel like my audience is people who enjoy reading generally. Um, what are you guys checking out right now? Or book, are there any books that you've read recently that or are reading that you want to talk about? Because I feel like 
You got to be. Ahead, Brian. I know, Brian. Uh, that, that's a dangerous question. because I, <laughs> I have a huge stack that I'm working on. Um, there's this really good book, Spiritual Combat by uh, Lorenzo Scapoli. I think it's, well, it, it's probably a few hundred years old because I believe uh, St. Francis de Sales like carried it everywhere he went. Um, I think it's really good. I think it, uh, especially if you're like Catholic or Orthodox or Christian, you know, I think it, it, it was very helpful to help grow in virtue. Um, the subtitle says, how to win your spiritual battles and attain inner peace. So if that sounds like something that uh, you're looking for, I would recommend that book. It's, it's uh, pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, on another note, I just finished this book on the French Revolution uh, called Citizens by Simon Shama. I don't know, something like that, S-C-H-A-M-A. Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty interested. I read a book by, uh, I think his name's Richard Pipes on the Russian Revolution, and they kept talking about the uh, French Revolution because apparently they were inspired by that, so I decided I had to go back and read about that. So fr- now I'm going to work my way from the French Revolution up to like Stalin and then maybe to Mao and... Uh, and uh, probably read the Gulag Archipelago after that to uh, yeah. figure out uh, what our accommodations are going to be like in the next 20 years. <laughs> well, uh, as someone that is currently reading um, about three quarters of the way through volume two, uh, I can tell you, Brian, that all three of us would probably be below the bottom bunk. And uh, so we would just have to crawl underneath there, um, being the Christians <laughs> of the group. Uh, yeah, so I, I uh, am actually taking a little bit of a hiatus of reading anything really big. I, I think I, I may have mentioned earlier, I don't remember. Uh, we recently, my wife and I just bought a house and we're in the process of moving. So while I have two bookcases, one over here to my left and one behind me, which you can't really see, uh, I think my entire office closet at my new home is actually just stacked of books because I would just, every time I go over there before we do a big move, I just bring a couple of boxes over, unpack them, bring the boxes back. So I think it's probably knee height all the way around it's a, it's a relatively big closet but nice. uh so gulag archipelago um i am reading upon this rock or on this rock by stephen ray which mm-hmm. is an examination of the uh, roman catholic claims of the papacy um very very interesting book i'm also reading frank sheed's theology for beginners which brian recommended to me which is another actually it's probably the best book i've read on theology very accessible very insightful too um and I actually just picked up, speaking of Jordan Peterson earlier, uh, my, my reread of 12 Rules for Life. And I'm, I think I'm like halfway through the third rule right now. So it's, it's a book that I'm, it's one of those books I think that I'd like to read maybe once every two or three years because it's very insightful. And it's a, it, I don't want to say it's a rambly book because it really is just JP's reflections, but it, it does just kind of give you insights into his personal understanding of these rules even more than just being like okay here's 12 rules follow them it's like this is how i got here which is, is actually i think a really good way of, of of you know doing pedagogy because it really helps you get kind of involved with what the the writer is saying or you know in, a, in another sense what the teacher or lecturer would be saying mm-hmm. yeah and i like listening to his lectures as well i i follow his podcast and so yeah, you, you get, you see, it's great to like go back and listen to his podcast after reading the book and see mm-hmm. how he Is got he still doing those, by the way. Uh, so right, yeah, right now he's on his hiatus and everything, but he does have some coming out from his maps and meaning lectures, which he did yeah. before he did the biblical series. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Which, so they're interesting. They're definitely good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I saw him in person. It was uh, fantastic. Oh, wow. I definitely <laughs> recommend that. He was in Indianapolis and for whatever reason, I wasn't able to go. I was very upset because I, I, I really wanted to, but it was like, there was actually something that was happening that weekend or Thursday or whatever it was that he was here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess what he does for his talks is he basically is testing his new material, I guess what he basically he, he talks to his audience about what he's thinking about and kind of works through it through his mind as he's talking to the audience. Mm-hmm. And so I think whatever you hear is probably going to be in one of his future books. Yeah. It's pretty it. awesome. I think we should also probably plug Brian, you and me, a book that just got released yesterday that we're both interested in uh, by Rod Dreher called "Live Not by Lies." Have you heard of that, Nick? Mm-mm. So, have you heard? Have you heard of the Benedict Option? No, I don't think I have it. Either. Oh, you'll have to check it out. It's an interesting. It's an interesting reflection. If someone that, who wants to live in a commune, I figured you. Yeah, it's an interesting reflection on basically that. Um, but Rod Dreher is um, he, he's a senior editor or senior um, executive editor of uh, the American conservative publication. He's done a lot of books. He did a book, which I actually really love called um, how Dante saved my life, which is a reflection basically on Dante's uh, divine comedy and his own life. Um, highly recommended read as well. But he just released a book yesterday called live not by lies, which is he traveled all around like Eastern Europe kind of in countries that were formerly behind the Iron Curtain. And he interviewed a lot of Christians and people who were the descendants of a lot of the big dissidents. And it's basically kind of a mishmash of like what Alexander Solzhenitsyn would have written about, but more of a Christian bent where it's this entire thing of how do these people survive? What would it look like if that happened, you know, here, you know, what, what are, what what did they go through as Christians living in a militantly atheist society? So I think Brian, you and I both have that on order. So hopefully that'll be yep, coming soon. Be here I, tomorrow. I believe it's the number one book in the country. I don't know if it was number one in a specific category, but I know upon release it was rated number one, whatever that means. Wow, that's awesome. That's cool. I'll have to definitely check that out. And I now that you mentioned, I have heard of the Benedict Option. Yes, yeah. I, I remember now. I. I was trying to put together. I'm like, okay, I remember. I've heard of this. <laughs> it's yeah. It's 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 one of those things where I think anyone, whatever, whether they agree with it or whether they disagree with it, it's 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 a polarizing topic, but it's a very interesting proposition nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I think it'd be good to maybe kind of wrap up. I know we've been going for sure. quite a while now, and um, but I, I do want to give you guys a chance to you know if you have any final thoughts on anything that you wanted to share. Obviously. You know, is there anything that you got? I mean, obviously you can also plug to the podcast and find you too, but is if there's anything else too that you wanted to share before we kind of signed off. Yeah, I think uh, I'd just like to reiterate kind of what we touched on throughout our conversation that if you look at uh, the political climate, if you look at what's going on in our society and you're frustrated by it, I think I would like, I would suggest that perhaps the solution is to focus on becoming a virtuous man and encouraging other uh, men and women to become virtuous. I think that that's the solution to, you know, any problem. Like if, if you, if you grow in virtue, the group virtue of prudence, justice, fortitude, uh, temperance, that's going to solve pretty much all of your problems. I mean, not all of them, but uh, you know, You'll live a lot better life that way if you uh, 
if you become more virtuous. I'll second that. And I'll add that it's something that, you know, growing in virtue, whether you're trying to become a more just person, a more courageous person, a more prudent or wise person, a more loving person, whatever it may be, it's not something that's going to require big feats. Like the like Hollywood is going to say, you know, growing courage doesn't take jumping over the trench to save your buddy from a German mortar in World War One or whatever. It, you can start it after listening to this podcast. It's going to be small things and it's going to be consistent things, but it's going to be amazing how much you grow, I think, by just diligently doing the little things in life these little things that other people aren't seeing that you aren't getting praise for on social media. And that's really the, the best thing that we can be doing. And I, you're hundred percent right, Brian. I think, I think we as a society really just need to take a step back from trying to uh, evangelize pol- politics and, and just culture and other things on social media for the next couple of months. But I'll, uh, I'll plug our show and I'm sure you'll put this in the show notes, Nick, but uh, we got uh, our vital masculinity podcast, 60, five, maybe almost 70 episodes now. We've been doing this for a year and a half. Um, You can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts, including this place, uh, (laughs) iTunes, you know, all these other fun places. Um, We have a journal and we got 50, 60 odd articles so far. Nick, you've contributed a few articles to that. And we started that actually during the pandemic. So it's been only a couple of months, but we're excited for the direction that's going. We got a couple of other goodies coming out soon. Um, and we're we're really excited for the the direction of the show, the project in general, as we continue to grow. Because I th- I think Brian, you and I would both agree, we just kind of woke up one day and we're like, wow, we, we're getting a lot of organic growth, and uh, we're, we're we're very pleased with that. And glory be to God, because um, it's always good to see people just wanting to, to to become more virtuous people, even learning from imperfect souls such as us. But we really appreciate having or you having us on, Nick. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. you coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, definitely everyone go and check out what these guys are doing. They're doing a lot of great stuff. Thank you. Thank you for coming on to the conversation for our generation. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. God bless. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the conversation for our generation. And if you want to find out more about what they're doing over at the Vital Masculinity Podcast, again, tune in to the sh- or check out the show notes rather and tune into their podcast. You can find it wherever podcasts are. I mean, don't just listen to theirs and not mine, but you can always listen to both. There's definitely, you got time for both of them, that's for sure. And also just go follow them on Twitter, Facebook, everywhere that they can be found. Check them out on biomasculinity.org. And if you're enjoying this kind of stuff, I've also been rolling out my YouTube channel. Go over there and check that out if you just search Conversation for our Generation. Or if you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button to... Make sure that you get notifications on when new stuff comes out. I'm trying to release things basically every day, at least every weekday now. And I have a lot of content backed up. So definitely stay tuned in because there's a lot more coming there. And subscribe to the podcast of Conversation for Our Generation, wherever they are as well. It really is great to see numbers growing and stuff. So that's a lot of fun. And there's more stuff coming down the pike as well. So definitely check that out. And... Thank you for listening to this episode of The Conversation for Our Generation. Let's get the dialogue going. I'll talk to you next time.